0: Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known here on WRIR as DJ Lylas, and you're listening to WRIR-LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm here today with my very good friend Eliana to discuss the greatest sci-fi film of the 20th century. See Xenon, girl of the 21st century. Xenon girl of the 21st century, released as a Disney original movie in 1999. I'll tell you the real reason I squeaked, you're gonna Nova. No, no way. Supernova. Oh, just tell me. Microbe is coming here
1: for the very first rock hunter in space. (laughs) Eliana, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about, you know, what's in store for our future. Yeah, what we have to look forward to in the rest of the 21st century as we reflect on the prophecies of the 20th
0: yeah if analyzed correctly it holds the key to like the secret of of, like (laughs) (laughs) of um achieving post-growth pains as a society where we're like living in a pure Mm -hmm. society like the blue dot society that's what this movie is um all
1: about not I don't think it's quite there, but it, it could be a stepping stone towards <laughs> it. Especially, I think, the second movie, which we'll we'll touch on a little, but not much, because this is focused on the first movie. Yeah. The second movie is definitely a path towards it.
0: I mean, there's a whole trilogy here to analyze. Yeah.
1: There's
0: Xenon, Z, the sequel, Z and Z3, which are you know yeah. all important. Um, but for those of you who don't know this beautiful voice, Eliana is one half of the very popular song in Ice of Fire podcast, Girls Gone Canon. If you love literature, lore, English, and if you love hearing women tell you things, go find this podcast wherever you listen to them. And if you love it, you can donate to their Patreon and get cool merch designed by the Supernova girl herself. She paints, writes, and does all things creative. In 2012, she graduated with a double major in English and art, cum laude, I might add. Today, she lives in DC where she writes, screenwrites, does brand design and communication, and of course, delights the world of nerds with her podcast. Eliana, thank you again. Um, I want to ask you, why did you choose Xenon?
1: Well, I am kind of wondering why all of your previous guests did not choose Xenon, actually. Xenon <laughs> Carr, is there something you wish to share with the class? Hmm? You know, I when I look back on it, is this probably one of my first sci-fi ex- like stories, right? And exposures to it because what this came out in ninety-seven. So I would have been 7 and then the second no, it was came out it was we were 9. It's still probably your first exposure. Yeah, right? it's still like my first exposure or not my first but one of and I mean it's a fun movie, right? It's got a catchy song. It's oh. got a you know, we all love those plucky plucky young heroines, so mm-hmm. I I just thought it would be a fun movie and I don't think it like just really gets enough credit just in general. I, I mean, sci-fi no. doesn't always have to be super serious, but there are actually quite a few serious topics and themes that I think run throughout this, such as for example, corporate greed. And we yes. can talk about, we can talk about oh, well, that in a bit. I, I have a whole section on that. Like it's really
0: unique. Like Disney movies do often tend to have villains that are like evil capitalists, which I find really ironic, right? Like, it's like, I'm sorry. Or, where, who are you talking about? Um, but, For me, it stands out among the Disney original movies, of which there was a lot of very fantastical fantasy elements. There was, you know, The Mm Luck of the Irish. There was one about mermaids. They had a lot of fantasy elements in those. And it always felt like this is where pitches go that aren't good enough to get full funding to be a film. Like, in fact, this movie was meant to be the pilot for a TV series. When I found that out, my Mm -hmm. heart broke. I was like, (laughs) hi, I don't know about you. Were you a big Disney watcher?
1: I I think I was. Like the movies that you're talking about, like the one with the kid that turns into a mermaid, that was interesting, right? It's about a young man. He turns into a mermaid. It's called the thirteenth year. I think that, yeah, Disney was very mainstream, but it, looking back on it, I'm like, that was probably way weirder than anything else in its own different way.
0: There was this period of time in the 90s and the early 2000s where the budgets going towards these original movies, it was like there's a whole different production company involved. They felt very not Disney. There's some things about it that feel very Disney, but they're very unique. Like this movie stands out to me. And you're right. A lot of the original series movies are so memorable. And they're very, I think for us, hold a very
1: you know special heart. Special place in our 90s hearts, right? Like for me, they it was did, a very formative time. So they did Madeline Langle's, like, A Ring of Endless Light, but it's actually very different from the book. I don't remember how anymore, but I remember right. reading the book after. I was like, this was pretty different. So did you <laughs> but, know this is based on a book? I found that out as uh, we were preparing for this, but it seems like they were more what, picture books? but it is interesting. So for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, and they've never heard this
0: word before, and you're just going along with it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this movie. We will spoil the entire film, but that will not hold you back from enjoying watching this. What I consider and what actually, you know, objectively is the greatest sci-fi movie of the 20th century. It goes number three, Blade Runner, number two, Alien, and then number one is Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. Like, it's like, no, there's really no question. (laughs) Released in 1999 on the Disney Channel, Xenon Girl of the 21st Century is a one-and-a-half-hour thrill ride of anti-capitalist girl power of futurism. Unique from many Disney originals, it's based on a book of the same name. The film was written by two original authors, Marilyn Sadler and Roger Bolin, along with adaptation work by Stu Krieger, and was directed by Kenneth Johnson. Cetus Lapidus, it's amazing these people are not household names right Cetus. now. <laughs> Cetus Lapidus. I mean, Lepidus. My mom was like, I remember Cetus. you saying that. Zenon follows Sadis <laughs> Lapidas,
1: how did you know? Whoa! Talk about your karma major. Oh Sadis <laughs> I'm glad you did.
0: Xenon <laughs> follows 13-year-old Xenon Carr played by Kristen Storms and her best friend Nebula played by Raven Simone, a team of troublemaking teenagers living on a corporate-owned space station in 2049. LOL. Xenon uncovers a dastardly plot by the corporation president, Mr. Wyndham, to destroy the expensive research station with an adorable coin size CD. No one believes Xenon, and she is punished by being, quote, grounded, and literally sent to Earth, where she learns about boys, ponies, and gravity. Will she be able to save her station, family, and friends from corporate murder plots in time to see her favorite band?
1: yes she does just so you all know (laughs) because we said we were gonna spoil it and the answer is yes she does there does
0: come it does have pretty high stakes though like everyone does almost Mm -hmm. die and they come to death within only a second difference and there's a really good that moment where the whole station shuts down it's it's amazing
1: it's wild to me that our antagonist right i forgot now his name i should pull up a list hold on mr Wyndham or lutz Wyndham and lutz both were like yeah and everyone's attention will be focused on the space station and protozoa and no one will like think to look to us i'm like how did you think if your (laughs) space station blows up i think people are still going to look at your corporations (laughs) sir like i don't think
0: there's a lot of liberties you can take in plot when you're writing for nine to twelve year olds you know like there's like so many things about this like there's so many things about the way that like the way that teenagers have such a like important role to play in how society functions in this movie, like the fact for me, the fact that her boy interests Greg and he's like working on the pony farm, the horse farm, there's like, there's just no adult supervision, like at all. Um, that was like, just like, I really really riding horses. Were, and I was like, as a kid, you don't question any of that. You're like, yeah, like this is the way it's meant to be. And they're like, we, no one would have known. As a kid, you're like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <Sure. laughs> it, it is, right? And everyone's houses were really nice. Like, even her aunt's house, right? was really, really nice, so. <laughs> the things you notice when you're in your 30s, I'm like, what <laughs> does the aunt do? Like, what's her position? Whatever she's doing, it's
0: growing great. Yeah. I really love the Zadie like, whacked out, clearly on pills or drinking a lot with aunt, who's, like, oversharing with the... Yeah. With, she's such a great... I thought she was great, like... I personally find like almost zero faults in every aspect of this film like cinematography acting music like production design it's like all perfect just kind of rare watching it again i know that nostalgia is coloring my approach because i was so forgiving on the cg Um, (laughs) it's pretty good it's pretty okay (laughs) what did you notice watching it um for the second
1: third fourth probably twelfth time right (laughs) actually it might have been because they would always replay these movies right on the disney Mm -hmm. channel Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that stuck out to me was the language that they use and their slang right that's sort of what's so fun right like Cetus lapidus hilarious and i'm like i don't know it's not that far off right some of what they're saying i kind of want to start using the word stellar more like yeah they use it because obviously like the whole connection with stars but i'm like that's a real word and then like Saying like, "Oh, this is so like linearious or something." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Ooh, yeah, it's, that's cool. We should say that." But it's adorable. What I thought, yeah. Go ahead. What I thought was so funny was that they said "viral" is means something is really bad, but that is in fact like a word that has entered our common parlance. Now, it isn't necessarily like always bad. Now, but I'm like, I could see it in the year 2049 the way that things going <laughs> viral is in our world ends up like not just like literally in terms of the times that we are in with the pandemic but also just like going viral things take on a life of their own like if you put a video out there and it goes viral you kind of lose track of it and then like who knows you end up getting harassed or whatever so I'm like in 2049 viral could be bad
0: well said I I had not even thought of that that I caught viral means bad and I laughed because of course for us we're talking right now in 2021, in December, and it's the time of the virus, right? Um, mm-hmm. But to be to go viral used to be an aspiration, and kind of still is for people, right? To go viral on the internet, like, right? Um, the other the line that came after that is when he's explaining his slang. There's Earth slang, and then there's the different slang on the space station. I thought they were they did a good job of showing this kind of like
1: xenophobia.
0: Yeah. Um, but Xenon-phobia. he goes xenophobia. Xenophobia. <laughs> <laughs> he goes. Yeah, viral means bad and graphic means beautiful. And I went, oh, because this is 1999. You know, graphics mm-hmm. are cool. The word graphic, a graphic yeah. art, like all of the technology, the throwback, especially the tiny holographic CD. I lost my mind when I saw that because, like, you do your best <laughs> with futurism and there is a lot of really good futurism. But to think that in 2049 we're still using CDs was so precious. You know, yep. like, how would they have known? But, like, that there's a little,
1: like, the future succeeding was to be so little. He's loading a virus. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love that she used it as an accessory also. I'm like, oh, that's totally something I think I would have done. <laughs> but also just like, as you said, right? The the distinctions between earth culture and space station culture. I'm like, how long was the space station up there that they developed their own culture? It actually got me thinking about you know, she was talking about how coming back to Earth, there would be all this gravity and made me think a little bit about the expanse and the world building that they did in the expanse of like the people who live the same thing. in the belt. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. how it affected their bone density and things like that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, you were talking about the technology and some of it, as you said, the futurism isn't like that bad. Like they they nailed the video calling. Mm-hmm. Here we are video calling right now. It's just that their devices yep. are all way bigger. They're just bigger than, I guess they didn't realize everyone would want things smaller. Or flatter. <laughs> and,
0: well, because everything's yeah. chunky and cute in the 90s. I do want to come yeah. back to the logo, but this, but the, the technology representation, I saw a very short interview with Kristen Storms where they asked her about, this was in 2013, they were like, well, what's your favorite thing about living in the 21st century? And she huh. said, well, the Zap Pad. obviously, I think it's funny that the iPod, iPad came out and Xenon was the first to have one. And I wonder, do we have Xenon to thank for video calling and iPads and phones? So is this something that we can I mean, really connect?
1: <laughs> Maybe I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying we do, but like, so this is something that I was pondering, and I'm I'm gonna get like serious here for a second. But I remember what Neil Gaiman was talking. I don't know if it was Neil Gaiman, but I, I remember a reporter was talking at a sci-fi convention in China, like in what 2008 or so like something like that they were actually like really advertising sorry they were really pushing um sci-fi literature in china and part of it is because they wanted to improve their science and when they interviewed engineers across the world who were making innovations they found that the running like thread throughout all of them is that everyone had read sci-fi growing up. And so I think like Xenon's interesting in that, I mean, it very well might've like had some sort of influence, right? Like how do you create a future if you don't even know how to visualize it and what you want to make? And what I was also thinking about with Xenon, you know, you're talking about how it's like this powerhouse, like girl power film when we were younger, like a lot of when people think of sci-fi, they think of a really serious films right or that or they think of star wars which allegedly is technically a fantasy by some standards but whatever ignoring that you know (laughs) xenon is a sci-fi movie about and maybe even targeted towards young girls and women and we have an issue with having like women in tech right now right and so i was just thinking like what is the impact of xenon on all that but maybe not a hundred
0: but I think, I, I realized when watching that this, this movie impacted me a lot more than I realized. Like, I told you a lot of my color palette for my own art and my films is mm, exactly the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, But her spunkiness and her character. But you said something about the importance of science fiction that is kind of like the whole crux of this podcast and my own obsession with sci-fi, which is how can we make something unless we've seen it in our minds? I think we're awash with Black Mirror and bad visions of the future and post-apocalypses and worlds where there's no escape and that's not something you can work towards xenon i can work towards like yeah there's a moment in the very beginning she's walking around the space station you don't really understand and then she opens up her window and you see the earth and it's not a great shot now but in the 90s it was an amazing <laughs> shot because you're like oh she goes, she goes, she goes. and like we don't I, th- I think there. i actually wrote a paper about this in high school about the influence of star trek like until we watch star mm, trek yeah. we didn't have sliding doors like we don't Scientists huh. don't realize this. Like we don't infl- we don't really invent things until we see them in the collective conscious, and then we all subconsciously work towards them. So, creating nerd content for the world that we want to live in, like a positive future, this is like the reason I think I love this so much. Is it really? It really represents the kind of storytelling that I'm obsessed with. That I think we need the most. To be honest, I can't believe I'm saying that honestly, but it's true. Xenon's the kind of movie we yeah. need.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like... <so> I... <laughs> go ahead. Science and technology, like, uh, I think it's funny that you brought up Black Mirror versus this, right? A more optimistic view of what science could be, right? Like, her parents were on the space station looking for cures to bone diseases. And science and technology are not inherently moral or immoral. It's how you use it. Wow. Well, that's a big theme in this movie, isn't it? It is, along with, down with the (laughs) capitalists. Like, this is a super anti-capitalist movie. (laughs) And the next movie, right? And then, like, uh, I I started the next movie uh, in preparing for this, but I haven't finished it, right? It starts off with, like, suddenly the military takes over. Sorry, we're spoiling the second movie, too. So then you have, like, the military-industrial complex sullying and using science for, anyways, so. Okay, if you're listening to this episode right now, we will be recording an episode on Xenon the z
0: If you think you are qualified to talk about Xenon the z please email me at CameronRVideo at gmail.com. That's CameronRVideo at gmail.com. Write z in your inbox subject line. You're listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. I'm Cameron Kitt. I am here talking with my very good friend, Eliana about the most important sci-fi film of the 20th century called xenon girl of the 21st century a disney channel original movie from 1999 this is. They came from outer space tonight. See, disappeared.
1: Blast off with a Disney Channel original movie,
0: Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century.
1: No air duct cruising, no recycle bin diving, and please try
0: to stay out of restricted zones. She's your typical cosmic kid, <laughs> who's been grounded.
1: Shuttle departure in three minutes.
0: But when disaster hits, home base, it's up to Xenon to save her family and friends up in space.
1: Everybody up there is in danger, Mortis. Watch Xenon,
0: Girl of the 21st Century, starring Kirsten Storms and Raven, tonight at eight Central on Disney
1: Channel.
0: So, Eliana, can you please explain to me why this is
1: an anti-capitalist movie? I think it speaks for itself, but you know, we start out with the main issue is, or one of the first plots that that arises is, we need Xenon to be well-behaved because Wyndham is coming. And we need to prove to him that these life-changing discoveries that will literally save people's lives, these scientific advances that are good for everyone, are is profitable. <laughs> that is the first problem that shows up. And then the next part. Plot- wait, 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 wait. But as an adult who's worked
0: in a business for a decade, I had a twinge where I was like, Yeah, this is a huge, this is a huge suck of resources and money. I can totally see why this is, oh, like I felt for him for like a half second. I was like, the business side, I was like, oh man, this, I don't know if he could profit
1: off. This is a huge investment.
0: (laughs) Also, didn't you think he looked like Elon Musk?
1: I thought about it. I thought about Elon Musk a lot. It's like, this "This is Elon Musk. Anyway, please continue with number two. I mean, it's what you said, right? Like, we're stuck in a mindset of thinking oh but this isn't profitable but advances to our society advances to people's lives shouldn't necessarily be profitable and <laughs> I come from like a very non nonprofit space right and we have to constantly prove like oh this is this thing or like I, I have a I had worked for a brief period of time and like doing work for for venture philanthropy and i was like i don't know about this approach but you have to prove to people like that this philanthropic thing that you're pursuing is profitable or like makes benefit right away and the problem with innovation is that you're going to mess up sometimes and i mean that's how science works right you test things out it doesn't always work the first few times it's not always going to yield profit but that doesn't make those breakthroughs any less important and then the second part is he's like, "I'm gonna just blow it up for money." So I'm like, "Clearly, <laughs> this is bad. It's <laughs> That's like straightforward bad." This is, yeah, it's definitely
0: like a Scooby Doo style plot, right? Like he and his his henchmen are in like these extra large suits, so that you know that they're mm-hmm. bad. You know what I mean? They're they're yeah. They got to get to their business meetings, and um, I love all the like allusions to business. But this leads to a really interesting question, which is about our current state, right? This movie is supposed to take place in 2049. We're here in 2021, thinking about the future. I have this argument with a lot of my friends about funding for NASA. And we there's been this kind of moment in the past couple months of this very anti-billionaires in space thing. And I did see a picture of the Amazon space station. And my first reaction was, no, right? As someone who desperately feels that we need more funding, I think about what Carl Sagan said, which is like the number one supporter and funder of science research in america is the military and that the way that mm-hmm. they approach science funding is we need you to find the blank for blank and that's just not how science works unfortunately like you can't I, I don't know i'm not a scientist but i've read a lot of books about it they're pretty clear that like most discoveries come when you're looking for something else viagra is a great example you know like you don't you don't you can't like search and destroy with science and that's the like crux of the problem is that's the only funding there is really besides and there's so, much, there's so much fighting for grants that things like bone density research are probably the only things that get funded, right? So we're in, a, we're in a society where we don't really approach science in the way that it needs to be approached in order to have those resources. You've seen it from the other side. Um, so my question for you mm-hmm. is, you know, this is a research station funded by a corporation. How do you think we should fund science in the future?
1: How should we get into space? I mean, it's funny that you brought it in the military because again, that is a uh, the sequel. <laughs> That's where they get the the sequel. This
0: movie, these movies are so deep and, and rich and the text is just—they're so
1: yeah, like you said, they represent and predict the future pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that necessarily corporations shouldn't. Put money towards it, but it would be great if, like collectively as a society, we agreed that science was worth investing in in general, right? Like whether mm-hmm. that's also starting an entire pipeline, you know, in school, like showing the benefit and the importance of it, but not just not just science, right? You said that discoveries are made for many different reasons. Um, And, you know, we we obviously need to continue investing in the humanities and the arts because, I mean, you and I have that background, so I'm always going to be biased. And obviously writers play a role in all of this too, right? They they create the stories that help inspire people to make these sorts of innovations, but also, I mean, government funding that isn't the military, that would be sick. Uh, Just understanding that this is a public good and, you know, it doesn't always have to be space but space is also good but i i thought it was funny in the movie they brought up like they thought that chelsea Cl- clinton was going to become a president oh i
0: know that was a <laughs> that low was... blow that was early in the movie too they're at their holographic school with their holographic teacher and they're talking about when chelsea clinton you know her presidency was different from her father she's really focusing on um under, like underwater ocean farming which we actually are focusing on by the way so the futurism in the book obviously is really strong but that was definitely, like, yeah. a gut punch. <laughs> I never knew
1: history could be so thrilling. <laughs> ah. I'm glad you're thrilled. Yeah. As I was saying, Chelsea Clinton has taken a... I thought it was funny, because you think they're going to say she made history as being, like, the first woman president, and they didn't, which implies that there would have been one before, or a couple even before then. So I think that's a little optimistic. I mm-hmm. like that, that insinuation. Yeah. But yeah they they have her in like invest right as you said underwater farming so just things that are in general like this would be good for society but yeah if this
0: was an if it was a like nationally funded more like a nasa station the plot wouldn't work as well like the subterfuge aspect wouldn't be as powerful and the fact that she's standing up to the man right like this little 13 year old girl she has a line where she's like you fool everyone else Mr. Gwenda but you don't fool me and she stomps off and I'm just like who is this child who is this bossy child good for her you know she's a really good hero I do think I do think I see a lot of myself in her character and I wonder about like I do think there is a little bit of development of her character right in the very beginning she says why like everything's always her idea she's the ringleader she's kind of the popular girl which no I didn't relate to that part but the she has this line where she's like, why be in the audience when you can be on center stage? That was like one of the lines that establishes mm. her character. And then at the very end of the movie, you see character development when she gives the gift to her friend to be on center stage. And then she's in the audience. So I thought that showed some character development, mm. even though to be quite honest, I watching this again was really brokenhearted by how little of character we get of, of Nebula, like how little of Raven's character yeah, development I there actually is. Like, this whole black best friend trope is really endemic to this time. Like Clueless was another movie that was very Mm -hmm. popular at the time where you have this kind of very flat cardboard character that is your black best friend. It's kind of supposed to make you look cool and cultured. There's a whole, there's a lot of stuff and research into it, but I was kind of like, I don't think that this would, that would fly today. I don't think that that would ever happen. Like that lack of development of her character. I would have loved, I want to see more about her. She's just kind of there to be supportive, like, okay. And then, you know, at the end she gets a little bit of character development.
1: Talk about nutrition absolutely- and Raven Smoke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I think, as you said, there's a little bit towards the end in that she learns to also break the rules a little, right? And tries to be more like her best friend. But as you said, this is something that was very much in the nineties of diversity, but not necessarily inclusion. And mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, at least they did have This is like a super low bar, and I'm not saying that they get any props (laughs) for this. I'm just saying that it is. They had Nebula and they had black characters, which is better than the depiction of sci fi or a future right 2049 where there aren't any black characters there aren't any people of color because that is a criticism that's levied against a lot of stories rightfully so of like (laughs) what happened to what happened to people of color in the future right and that they show it throughout so there is that i i it's, why, it's actually why I love The Expanse so much.
0: There's a lot about The Expanse yeah. that, isn't, that isn't my vibe and that they don't show our progression. They show all of our faults, right? That shows about how we've not really progressed as humanity at all. We just have gone to space. However, there's like no white people at all in the show. And I think that's just representative of trends, like actual anthropomorph anthropological trends of, of like, there are people who are lighter skinned, but there's almost zero white people at all in the show. And it's very... Once you realize it, watching it as a white person, once you realize it, for me, it was like thrilling because I was like, oh, wait, that is what the future will be, isn't it? Like everyone will be more mixed together, more or less. I mean, I'm sure there will still be enclaves of people, but like in a hundred years, sorry to break it to you Nazis, but like whiteness is
1: dying now. It's not going to stick around the same way. Hopefully. I mean... That is my hope. <laughs> and yeah, but while, you know, race race isn't really a focus, right, in this story, but classism is in a way. Not necessarily yeah. not not in the same Ooh. way, but like in that xenon it's not classism in the same way, but there's definitely that xenonphobia, as <laughs> I will say. Xenonphobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the way that she and the kids on the space station talk about Earth and they think of it as this like horrible place, and the way that people talk about earth on the space station they make it sound like it's a lower income place or less civilized or whatever Mm -hmm. and it isn't necessarily right she goes there and she has uh greg the manic pixie dream boy and (laughs) he teaches her about horses ever forgettable greg because i completely
0: forgot that he was like he's so not memorable to me the forgettable greg
1: yeah he's just a
0: boy with he's just boy with horses he's like just got access to horses that's his only (laughs) benefit
1: that's, like, apparently that's a trope, I guess. There's a recent Netflix film that had a boy into horses also. and But, yeah, like, the way that they talk about, like, oh, the disease is there and, like, everything's heavy and as though the space station is a utopia, but only some people get access to that, right? And it reminded mm-hmm. me briefly of, I don't know if you watched uh, The 3%, that Brazilian, like, sci-fi dystopian thing on Netflix, where, no is it good? I good? Mean, I thought I haven't watched the latest season, but I thought it had a really interesting fun premise. It's got like a you know, Hunger Games, Squid Games thing going on where like at the end some people get access to No, I don't think people die. You just like get eliminated through a normal way. No dying. You just get sent back into you know, they have it as a slum area and then you get to go to like this utopia. But only Mm. some people get access to that, and they're not sharing Mm. like any of their innovations or wealth or anything. Granted, the space station, the goal is to share those, but, um, and then that she gets, she realizes, wait, actually, people on Earth are just like us. It's an interesting Mm. narrative.
0: Yeah, her experiences on Earth I find really fun, right? Like, she experiences rain, flowers, hay fever, she stumbles because of gravity. It's kind of the first time she's the fish out of water, right? So, Mm A character who really kind of she runs the entire space station you know bad way everyone's kind of at her beck and call right like she's just kind of doing whatever she wants until she's literally grounded so that's like at least you get some character development there um but yeah the ever forgettable greg here's a fun fact gregory smith is named greg so he played a a guy named greg they shot at his actual high school that's a real high school really and a lot Hmm. of his friends were extras
1: good for good for them i'm glad they got to be extras in the movie i'm happy for them
0: that's adorable also good job saving money disney um this budget for this was five million which makes sense to me like is that big or small to me that's it's kind of both right for an original movie it feels big but for an actual feature film it feels very small right for Mm. a disney film so i'm really impressed like the whole cgi budget was 500k and this is for the '90s. Like, there's a there's a description of when they do the rocket landing scene, that the rocket landing scene had 131 layers, as if that was like, a big deal. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they probably were like burning their computers out doing all this CGI. Right. I mean, it, it was a very challenging movie. So, like, you know, with your English and art background, we talked a lot about the themes. But what would you say as kind of a somebody who's good at analysis? What would you say some of the symbolism that stands out to you in this movie?
1: I don't know. I didn't think about the symbolism. I don't think oh. there is really any symbolism. <laughs> what is the symbolism? I don't
0: know. Like, I'm they're not on the sure. space station. I'd really, oh, okay, well, here's something we can talk about that I did no research on at all the costumes. The costumes are so good. They also re emphasize, like, when you're on the space station, you see that they're with, that makes all sense because you're like, you only see the space station at first, right? When she gets to mm-hmm. Earth, it's just a slightly more futuristic Earth, which was really smart of them. Like, there's still some flannel, there's still some, you know, flared pants. And she's a total fish
1: out of water there. But I found the costumes to be amazing. <laughs> like, I don't know about you. What was your reaction? I thought it was like, a, as you said, right, I kind of forgot that on Earth people were dressed, I mean, very not dissimilar from, I guess, what the fashion was at around that time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: whereas, yeah, the space station was so futuristic. So I thought that was like a great way to to show that and do that visual storytelling and I thought that the, I thought that at first, like the space station costumes was like, oh, how 80s, right? Like, as you said, right? Mm. Those futurism aspects. And as I thought about it more towards the end, I was like, maybe, first of all, people were very covered up. You know, the spandex looks like it might be a bodysuit.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was like, maybe it's because it's a Disney movie, but I was like, oh, maybe it's cold on the space station. So people wear mostly full body Aww. things or they have to wear tight things to keep their skin inside (laughs) oh yeah for the blood compression for blood compression (laughs) but then they like changed that a little later and also I really liked her parents like I don't know if they were like silk like lab coats or lab coats were like this yellow mustardy color which I don't know if that's like any good for a lab coat or not but I kind of liked those those were cool I would wear that to a business meeting (laughs) that was like their science officer garb did you notice that but
0: like everybody wears colors it's like Star Trek right so the science officer outfit you could pull up. I also love the inclusion of the stress helmet. Like when Xenon does all this crazy stuff. Like oh, yeah. And mom has to go in the stress helmet. <laughs> I was like, I want a stress that was helmet. That good. There's just so much beautiful uh, futures packed into this movie. To me, I, it just feels so not Disney in a lot of ways. The things that feel very Disney are the fact that everyone has to be paired up. And everyone has to have a romantic partner mm. in the end. Like the zany aunt has to get paired up with the captain. Yeah. And everybody has to have their little happy ending. Um, but yeah like so much of those little parts that made it feel so unique i wonder i have to read the book or like if that's attributed to the book before we go to our next break i want to ask you a little bit about y2k right so this movie came out oh, in
1: 1999
0: this came out if it came out in april 1999 so the real y2k craze didn't really start until later in that year but share a little bit about like what your experience it was with
1: y2k and like where you feel like this movie stands on that That's so funny. I kind of forgot that that Mm -hmm. is the context of this movie. Obviously, like part of it is playing on we were at the turn of the century, right? But with the title and the concept, but I guess with the Y2K, I just remember people being like, oh all our machines are going to stop working. They're all going to crash. Cause like the computers are too dumb to be able to understand. Like we got to move the zeros over to the next century. Turns out the computers were all very smart. Thank you, computer. I'm speaking into a computer right now. Hopefully it remembers me saying this. I say please. And thank you. When I talk to like, I don't know, Siri or something, they're going to remember that. And, <laughs> Um, so that's, I think, the so context. You're saying, y- you're saying Y2K
0: never left you because you're still being polite to the computer. No, I'm, I'm...
1: That's no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I know Y2K advances, right? Because I found out that, turns out, the computers were smart enough. But maybe part of it is that anxiety of, oh, all the machines are going to stop working, right? Like that virus that came in. Is that mm-hmm. is that why inspired by the Y2K like anxiety? Oh, definitely. Like, well, the fact... Oh, so when the ship starts breaking down, that, to me,
0: is representative of the Y2K anxiety right is this this idea of like the distrust of technology the Mm. falsity of the human endeavor right that like we're the ones that bring ourselves down right like the space station was doing Mm. fine but like we brought a virus into our own space station because we're, we're do we even do we even deserve to be in space there's a lot of like those questions for me
1: yeah but
0: the fact that there is a virus and it is anthropomorphized or not anthropomorphized but promorphized as a little like centipede little worm that goes into the computer and eats that Mm -hmm. is very memorable to me and I don't know if I had I'm sure it was copying something but there's so much of the space station that starts to get taken down this is of course internal corporate espionage not really corporate murder plot and the the whole station is shaking and and falling apart and people are going to die I distinctly remember that anxiety as a kid I didn't really understand I we had a computer at, at the time but it was big and so for those of you who are under 25 computers used to be these big boxes that were heavy and you would have to wait for a whole 15 20 sometimes 30 seconds for a single page to load and you were happy to watch Mm -hmm. it load you were happy to have like Mm -hmm. technology was very different then and we we didn't have quite the same kind of blase relationship that we do now where we expect it to be perfect constantly right like if my wi-fi is even a little bit slow i act like i don't know like a 16th century mop like i'm like oh like, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so I'm so, like, over it. I'm like, I can't believe it's, like, I, I, we have so much expectation now that we didn't then. We didn't understand how it worked. But I knew people, and there were definitely, like, concerns that the world would blow up. Like, that was the phrase I oh, remember. Oh, yeah. Things would blow up. You know, the state, the power plant would melt down because the zeros mm-hmm. would roll over. Yeah. That's a real thing. <laughs> like, people were really, no, really worried. And if you were too young to understand Ugh. that, it's kind of hard to understand what that moment was. Like those two, like 2000 and 2001, are very landmark experiences for humanity,
1: just like what we're living through now, right? It shapes our consciousness, it shapes what, how we feel about things. So. Absolutely. I mean, that distrust of technology, as you said, right? Like, it's what this is the same year The Matrix came out, right? It is. It's considered by many to be the greatest year for cinema, like ever. And it started with Xenon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Precipitated by the greatest film
1: of the 20th century. I mean, yeah, it kicked it off. So,
0: <laughs> speaking of the greatest, you're listening to They Came from Outer Space here on WRIR. This is a sci fi movie review show, and we are talking about Xenon, girl of the 21st century. My name is Cameron Kitt. I'm here with my friend Eliana. And thanks for
1: listening. Open girl, girl. Right, it down, boys. And number two, Xenon asked me to pass her winning dance on to somebody she says is always there for, without question, up for every adventure she ever proposes. Everything a BF should be. Nebula. According to Xenon, you're the true
0: winner, Major, so why don't you come on up there? Come on! Go. No, no, you won.
1: You go ride all the way back on the shuttle with him. So, Eliana, take it away. Anything you want to talk about? Alright, so in that time that we had our break and that spot, I remembered a symbol for the symbols (laughs) in question. (laughs) So I would like to bring that symbol forward now. Uh, The one that I that caught my attention was during the horse scenes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right, where the horse xenon is at first afraid of the horse and is like oh maybe we should leave the horse in the stable and the way that she phrases it is something like oh the horse seems like it really likes being in that stable and very oh, safe oh, there oh, and oh. then greg is like uh no the horse wants to run around <laughs> let the horse out <laughs> right but the horse is a symbol for xenon who has been just like on that space station and has never experienced life gotten to wow. run around and really seen anything so that's a wow. that's a symbol. A plus
0: work that's it's, I knew I knew you had it in you you could just pull it out because like it's amazing to watch you do that like um it's great like it's really fun to watch Xenon on experience our everyday world she talks about how the sky is so big and how onion rings mm-hmm. are so good because she's only ever had hydroponic food but she's truly terrified of the horse which makes sense right like she's never seen something like that and Manic Pixie Dream Greg is like no <laughs> we're gonna bring this horse out and then she gets on the horse it is the most Lisa Frank like nine to 12 year Mm -hmm. old girl movie possible and they did such a good job target audience like i was i think the reason that you and i love this movie is that we were both the exact target demo for the film
1: yeah right i think so absolutely maybe more (laughs) so for again the sequel (laughs) really hammer really (laughs) lock it in there i don't remember this apparently in z3 there's like celine the goddess of the moon i'm like wow we bring in a fantasy anyway i didn't know that i was looking at the Wikipedia. If you want to come on this podcast and talk about Z three, email me at cameronrvideo@gmail.com. We say it like we're joking. She's not joking. I'm not She's joking. I have
0: access to these films now, so it's like, yeah. Okay, let's talk about protozoa and microbe.
1: Um, why is that song such a bop? I don't know anything about music composition other than i mean it just bangs <laughs> so like what do you want me to say all right i got my spotify wrapped yesterday and it told me i like four different kinds of pop music so maybe <laughs> that's why <laughs> okay
0: my favorite thing about this band this is a band again designed for nine to 12 year old girls um so it's a boy band the guy has these amazing yes. the band is called microbe the lead singer is called protozoa it's never yes. really clear what the band's name is because they call them both But they have a hit song called Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. And the lyrics are, Zoom, 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 make my heart go boom, boom, my supernova girl. It's actually a really good song. Um, They only play it once in the movie, even though they kind of play clips of it. Um, And I think that's a a thing that Disney really knows how to do. They know how to use a song to their advantage because that song Mm -hmm. became the hit that kind of kept perpetuating the the quality of the film. But I love his character. Um, I read an interview with him. His name is Philip Reese. He still gets recognized on the street as Protozoa, by the way. Um, just really? Like hmm Yes. He huh. says it's like, of all the... He's done a lot of sci-fi acting, too. He's been in Battlestar Galactica. He's been on, like, I think, um, Doctor Who. He's, like, kind of... He got typecast when he was young um, because he had a British accent um, mm-hmm. as a... I'm sorry, but Getting getting typecast as a rock star is not the worst thing to happen. To
1: <laughs> that's true. Okay, fair. Fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair.
0: You know, getting typecast as, like, an abusive uncle or something, like, that's not good. But, like, if you get typecast as the, the cool, hot guy, I don't think that things are that bad. Kristen Storm says she gets recognized more through Xenon than she does for General Hospital. And I find that not surprising at all. So he said... Um, it's astounding the response that I got from this more than any other job. Every kid had a protozoa experience. The encounters I have daily when they connect, it's, when they connect the dots are, oh my gosh, you're protozoa. And when he was creating his character, he said he's a bit Bowie, a bit Elvis and a bit Liberace. However, he's very clear in the film that they are a rock and roll band. And I find that really funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do too.
0: <laughs> the casual regard with which he has towards his guitar, um, but he actually he like touches it once or twice. <laughs> it's more like a prop. But um, what are you expecting from a Disney Channel original movie? For me, I found him when I watched it again. He's like the hero who makes the movie happen. You know? He's great. He's a great character. He like He's on Xenon's side. He's on the side of his fans. Xenon comes to him asking for aid, saying, like, please help me. This corporation's trying to take me away. And he's like, no, you're on my side. And he, like, subdues these henchmen with alcohol and then like is her hero and he like really like reps amps her up to the rest of the station like he's a great character he doesn't really have any flaws you know and um
1: i just wondered like what are your memories of that as a kid do you remember the song when you watched it oh i think the song's iconic i remember it aliens remember it and (laughs) (laughs) again the plot is (laughs) He plays a big role in this sequel too. He gets some character. I mean, I think what's lovely about Protozoa, even though I don't understand why they needed to be a rock band, as you said, they as I was listening to the song, I was like, "Where do the guitars like play a role in this whatsoever?" There are three people playing guitar on stage. I just I don't know anything about music composition or anything, but I know that there are too many instruments up there for what I heard in that song. And they could kind have of leaned into it and made it a boy band, but I don't think they wanted to. And Protozoa is just a wonderful himbo who saves the day in many ways. Yeah. And that's why we love him.
0: Yeah. He, I mean, I learned, I'll be honest, this sounds, this sounds ludicrous to say, but like, I learned about filmmaking from watching this movie, right? Like, really? I learned about filmmaking. What you just said is really powerful. They could have made it a boy band, but they didn't. They didn't because they didn't have enough time you don't have enough time to introduce Mm. a whole cast of characters that are different boy band characters and have her choose one, you know, like you only have enough time to really ramp up this whole character that they're obsessed with, make him the hero, like the way that they do like payoff, right. The whole movie, the very beginning, they're talking about how Protozo is going to come play at the space station. In the last, in the last act, you find out that this was all planned by the corporation as a way to be a a supposed smokescreen for their
1: murder plot to
0: kill thousands.
1: (laughs) I don't know how that was like going to work. I think they were still going to like get, They were still going to get into some sort of corporate trouble for that, regardless. I don't know. I don't really understand. You know, um, apparently there's really good insurance money on a space station. (laughs) I guess so. What do you, like, how do you insure that, right? Like, and also, is this the first (laughs) of their kind? Did they have competitors? Were there competing space stations? I also am curious. This is something I'm thinking about. I'm really wondering if
0: there's any, like, fan fictions based in the Xenon universe. Um, And I really do want to see... The, I don't want to re-watch, re-watch the sequel in D3. My hope is that if there's one corporate station, there has to be others. But the thing that saddens me is I don't want that part to be our future. There's a lot that I do want to be oh, our I future. Oh, I agree. Right? I want to live on a research
1: station above the earth. Absolutely. But do I want it to be funded by Amazon? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> and that's, that's <laughs> I think, the problem, right? That's, that is part of the problem of why, coming back to the beginning... Having space stations and research like that funded by corporations, Uh, you should see if Philip Reese will uh, do this. Will guest? Oh my gosh, it's equal. Philip Reese, if you're listening, please
0: email me, Cameron. (laughs) Um, My last question for you, Eliana, is: you know, you've you've done screenwriting before. You have like a writing background. You think about plot. (laughs) What can this movie teach us, and what would you say are some takeaways for making low-budget sci-fi work?
1: Is it low-budget? I don't know what the takeaways it's low are. It's low-budget <laughs> for Disney. It's low, and, and
0: honestly, a $5 million budget today is not insurmountable. for. A, it's still considered low-budget for
1: films. Well, I think what I saw in this movie that was interesting is that this plot didn't necessarily need to be sci-fi. And it works right? It works as a sci-fi plot. It works because it's within, like, the space station, etc. But it could have been anything, right? Like, so-and-so is going to do this thing, has been sabotaging the town, right? This dam is about to explode, right? And harm all the villagers downriver, which is the plot of Frozen 2. And, I mean, it doesn't need to be a sci-fi. At its core, it's about a young girl that no one listens to because, and and this is something that I wonder too, right? They cast her not just as a young girl. They cast her as a young girl with feminine coded interests in terms of being obsessed with a boy band. And that causes her to seem very frivolous, right? And then we find out, no, she's piecing together this whole thing. And she is determined to get back and save everyone. She cares about all of them. And she leaves behind her love interest, right? Yeah, they kind of stay together for apparently I guess two years which is actually kind of remarkable for a long distance relationship <laughs> and very long distance and, but I-, <laughs> I agree so that's kind of remarkable in and of itself <laughs> but she leaves the boy behind to go save people that was more important and I mean I think it's, it's a at its core it, what makes it a successful story is that it's just I think relatable I think what young girl mm-hmm. doesn't relate to people not taking her seriously because mm. she's a young girl. Exactly. No, that's really powerful. You Even know, her other older woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, not being taken seriously in general, and and I think I lo- I, there's something that's still relatable about her, like proving all the adults wrong. Because mm-hmm. the conviction of her beliefs. I found I was trying to think the themes are like listening to your parents. <laughs> Everyone's like, haven't you learned your lesson yet? Isn't don't, don't like this happens like four times. They're like, Maybe you've learned your yeah. lesson about jumping to conclusions. And she's like, No, <laughs> like these are, these people are straight evil. Um yeah. the, fact, the fact that besides being obsessed with the boy band, she and Nebula's main interest is jumping into the trash compactor to get material. And I was like, There's a scene in yeah. the trash compactor where I was like, Wait, she's in the compactor. Like that's mm-hmm. a Star Wars reference and it is scary. Like <laughs> I felt like my own dad. I was like, get out of there.
1: Get out of there, know That's dangerous. It is dangerous. I mean, she does do a lot of things. I'm like, that that was dangerous. But, I mean, there's that, what, XKCD comic, right? Where that you have a scientist. They're like, the scientist does the same thing again after he gets, like, zapped. To see, does that happen every time? So. Mm-hmm. Great mindset. You gotta over. know. So what I'm
0: hearing from you is like, what makes this a powerful story is that it's really relatable to the audience. And honestly, uh-huh. no matter what packaging you put that in, you have to make sure that your story is relatable and not. Uh, I don't know, too, too deeply rooted in the, in the plot points of the genre, maybe. Cause you could say that this movie gets run away with the whole genre, but it stays really strong to its characters and the emotions of other characters. And it doesn't, good job of developing characters quickly like margie gets developed yeah. really quickly like they get in and get out and characters have a way of telling you exactly what they need the aunt says i've just never been good at taking risks she like straight says that. yeah <laughs> <don't know>. yeah. <laughs> yeah they do a good job with that
1: um final thoughts um I think uh, I'm not going to do something that summarizes everything here because I still have more thoughts. So I'm going to just quickly round robin. You were talking about cinematography and setting. A lot of the Earth settings, they differentiate it from space because they have all those windows, big open spaces versus the enclosure of the hallways and space and that kind of lighting versus the natural lighting, natural lighting versus artificial lighting. And then also you were talking about how everyone gets paired up. Very the the one thing that feels very unfuturistic. It's a very straight movie. People are very heterosexual, <laughs> which I think, which is at the forefront. Protozoa is very bi to me. I'm just saying. I I think he actually would be Disney. Just would have never portrayed him as such. And I thought about <laughs> this a lot because Raven Simone in real life is a lesbian. So <gasps> I didn't know that. This was her, so so three
0: of the main characters in this movie were all voice actors on Kim Possible. I don't know if you knew really? that. Really? Uh-huh. Let me pull that up real quick. And, so many. And so Raven Simone went on to have her own very popular Disney show. So Christian Storms, Raven yes. Simone, and Zach Lipovski were all crew members from the Kim Possible franchise. Kim Possible was the voice of Bonnie, Raven was the voice of Monique, and Zach was the voice of Matt. Um, actually, no, wait. Zach played matt was one of the directors in the live action Kim possible movie wow that's a yeah. that just shows you how disney kind of likes to reuse their little stable of actors right uh, once they get people in um but yeah i mean that's definitely one point that they didn't represent accurately
1: <laughs> yeah i was like this is really straight <laughs> <laughs> they still don't it was a movie in
0: the 90s exactly like where have they had any gay princesses?
1: No, so I think the most the most f- people read Raya as the relationship between Raya and yeah, that one's gay, even if Disney says it's the not. Serious that one's gay. Yeah, that's an example um, of like
0: where you can. There's such a thing as like film theory, right? Where you read the film as queer, but
1: yeah, or Disney, they just can't get it together, and. Yeah, but what they did advance is, as you said, reusing their actors and investing into making their like actors into cash, um into product, but also perfecting the whole use of music and movies. Because then Raven went on to be in the Cheetah Girls. Oh my gosh, that's another fabulous movie.
0: Mm-hmm. They like I think what when I was looking for was I was looking for holes, and I realized this movie has a lot fewer holes than I was expecting in terms of like the quality of the storytelling and the filmmaking in general if you're interested in science fiction or especially in 90s fashion or early 2000s fashion which is very much in right now please go and find this movie it's 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 very it's a timely movie this movie is now you know 21 22 years old and it
1: is (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry
0: it is worth a rewatch or a first watch if you've never seen it you can find it on disney plus or somewhere on the internet and i just want to say eliana thank you so much for coming on this show
1: thank you so much for having me cameron i know that we were trying to find you know what is a story that that would warrant me coming on here and i was like i'll come on for xenon (laughs) and what did i respond with Yes. You were like immediately like absolutely.
0: <laughs> I was like, "Yes." Yeah! Um you've been listening to they came from outer space here on WIRLP 97.3 FM, which means indie radio. Make my
1: supernova supernova girl. My supernova girl.